you're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back once again to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly here, bringing you the show yet again. Looking forward to this show. Going to be joined by former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden. Played in and around the NFL for nine seasons. Played with the Kansas City Chiefs, among other other teams. And uh, played there in that time with uh, the great Joe Montana. So some interesting conversation coming up with him in just a little moment. Once again, thanks for downloading the show, listening to it, whether you're streaming, downloading, whatever way you do, choose to listen to the Overtime Ireland podcast. Uh, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. All the good ways to listen to podcasts where podcasts can be found. And of course, as always, uh, please do give us a rate and a comment uh, on iTunes, Stitcher. And if it is your first time listening to the show, hopefully you'll hit that subscribe button. Stick with us for the future episodes. As we start the show, I've up my uh, Twitter feed here and I'm just seeing the news coming through that uh, Rory McIlroy has tore ankle ligaments after a kickabout with friends this uh, this weekend. And that's not good news for the golfer. Reminds me of a few years back, I think it was uh, Terrell Suggs playing a bit of pickup basketball with some of his friends and uh, tore his Achilles. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Terrell Suggs that there that happened to. And uh, Rory McIlroy now, um, some of you I'm sure are golf fans as well, or uh, he is doubtful for the uh, British Open. So wishing him a speedy recovery, I guess, and we'll have other injury news coming up on the show later on involving NFL players. So uh, we're going to get to that there in just a little bit. But first, we're going to get straight into this guest interview with JJ Burden. And uh, hopefully you'll all enjoy this now. It's the OTI Red Zone. The OTI Red Zone, presented by OvertimeIreland.com. Delighted to be joined once again back on the show by former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burden. J.J., a nine-year veteran around the league, played with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Dallas Cowboys, the Cleveland Browns, and the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, we've had you on the show a few times, J.J., but uh, we're, we're delighted to have you back on. Hope things are going well with you. Things are going great, you know, and I appreciate the invite. It's always good to chat with you and kind of update everybody on things. But things are really good. A lot of exciting things happening right now for me. Uh, obviously, you mentioned exciting things. We're going to talk a little bit and, uh, about your book. A lot of people will know after this conversation that you're uh, a very kind of you like to try and inspire people, try and get people to reach their goals. And I want to start off by you, when I put out about people sending in questions to ask you questions. You said, uh, "Well, with, with being five foot uh, five foot ten and one hundred and fifty seven pounds playing in the NFL, there's going to be a lot of stories to tell." So you know, if you can make it to the NFL at that kind of size and weight, and then there's guys comparable around the league. The guys I was looking at was like the likes of Randall Cobb, the likes of Antonio Brown. But when you look at those guys, they are five foot ten, but they are also uh, about thirty pounds heavy. So, uh, how did you find it uh, making making your way in the NFL? People look at those guys and say they're they're, they're kind of on the small side. Yeah, I know. I, I always chuckle at that too because um, yeah, those guys are about my height, but they're about like you said, thirty pounds heavier. But I don't know. I guess for me, you know, it was more a matter of I always knew I had the ability. I always knew I had the athletic ability, the speed, the quickness, the jumping, the eye-hand coordination. And then inside, I always knew I had the toughness, the mental toughness. The only challenge is where the people would look at me on the outside and just automatically lump me in a category that they felt I was not um, – I did not have the ability to make it to the highest level in the NFL. So I always used that as motivation. That was the – I took that negative energy and I turned it into positive energy and it, and it allowed me to um, get to the level that I felt that I could make, which ultimately was the top NFL. 
And you mentioned there the things, you know, you obviously had really, really elite level kind of speed, but you mentioned through the, the different characteristics and you said that you had the mental toughness. I know a lot of people look at the players on the field and, you know, they talk about how athletically gifted they are and how good their hands might be for catching the ball and that. But at the end of the day, the thing that a lot of stuff in the NFL comes down to is that mental toughness that you're not afraid to get hit, you're, you're not afraid to give a hit. And a lot of people overlook that just from their watching from the sidelines. It's not until you're down pitch side or when you're playing that you realize how, how tough it is for these guys. And you can have all the ability in the world, but if you're a little, well, let's say if somebody's a little bit of maybe have a, a bit of cowardice in them, they're not going to be able to make it to that level. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's when you get to the NFL, I mean, everybody's big, fast, athletic, and so forth. But it's the mental part that really separates the players. And there's really two components of it. One is, like you said, the mental toughness. You know, realizing that you're playing a physical game and you're tired, you're worn out, but you still have to be able to pick yourself up mentally and still get the job done, you know, as a wide receiver. I'm a little guy, you know, and typically little guys don't like going over the middle to make the catch, but that wasn't the case for me is that if I want to play in the game, I have to do that. So I went out there and I did it every single time. And um, But then the other part is, is more of the – um, the intellectual side of the NFL, you know, when you talk about yeah. from a mental standpoint, because we had to know so much information. And not only that, you had to have the ability to process the information at the drop of a dime, you know, in very critical situations or last second. And that's where I would see guys not make it because they couldn't whether remember the plays know the adjustments and um and that's where i shine because i was a student of the game i spent a lot of time in my preparation so that when it was game time um i never wanted to be the fact that i did not know the play the route as to why i wasn't successful so i was always ahead of the game from a preparation standpoint yeah and that's very valuable too when you look at somebody who looks to have so much talent again playing for the minnesota vikings at the moment Cordell patterson came out in his rookie year and it looked like you know he was getting screen passes or he was taking uh, kick returns back for touchdowns when it was just get the ball and run he's great but then as you said adjusting to the routes knowing the right tree knowing the play call getting it all down on the field and you know he seemed to struggle in his second year it'll be interesting to see how he develops this year further but then a guy who missed the first four weeks of the season last year and everyone's talking about him now Odell Beckham Jr he came in and it was like he just got everything straight away so you can see basically both sides of the coin there if you do get it you're off to a flyer and if you don't get it it's a real a real tough thing but you know, uh, when you look at a player like Cardell Patterson, do you think that that is basically down to him maybe not being able to, to judge things uh, from film perspective, from, you know, reading the plays that way? Well, you know, what's interesting is, I, you know, I could not give you the honest answer unless I was in the film sessions. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you learn so much about a player when you're on the same team with them because you're in all the film sessions. So you know how they're doing in practice and, you know, what their flaws are, what their strengths are. And so I would be curious to know, like, you know, how much preparation he put in, how much did he study his plays and, and did he know all the signals? Did he know all the adjustments? And, but like you said, Technically, for a receiver, it's rare when you see, you know, young receivers like Odell Beckham just come in and just light it up. But that year two, year three should be kind of um, a pivotal point in their career because they should be comfortable with the system. They should be comfortable with playing in the NFL because, remember, now you're playing against some of the 
best athletes in the world. So skill and technique plays a key role. With him as well, uh, Odell Beckham, he's kind of, there's a lot of second, third year wide receivers out there at the minute that he's kind of almost, they, people have said basically you haven't done it in your rookie season and you're done because he's come in and he's done it. People are expecting so much of guys coming in this year like Cooper and White, expecting them to do big things, but it doesn't usually happen that way with rookies and as you mentioned, second and third year it usually switches on. We've seen uh, uh, Keenan Allen as well for the Chargers have a tough second year, but a lot of times it takes those couple of years to develop. I'm sure you've seen that in your career as you move forward, you've got more understanding. So is there any players, maybe second and third year players at the minute that you think that people might be writing off that might have a, a big year this year in 2015? Um, let's see. I would say, um, let's see, third and second years. What year is Antonio Brown? Oh, <laughs> He's well. not. No, I think he's maybe fourth or fifth at this stage. Oh, he's fourth or fourth. Okay, okay. And people, um, people are still overlooking Antonio Brown, but I think people who watch the game on a regular basis, maybe the, the average fan, he might still not be a top name, but I don't think that uh, anyone who is watching the game regularly, the last two seasons he's been he's been phenomenal, and if he continues on that trend, he's another guy, as I said, he's kind of the similar height to you, but he's a little bit bigger, but a phenomenal, phenomenal pass catcher. Yeah, yeah. you know what's interesting, though, here is like guys like Antonio and Odell Beckham and all that, these guys that are having these great careers and, you know, or, you know, they're three, four, five, yeah. you know, fifth year. But what happens is, is now the defense starts to really scheme for yeah, that player. Yeah. The best DB plays them. They, they roll the coverage to them. So this will be a really interesting year for some of these guys because now everybody knows how great they are. Yeah. So now yeah. a lot of focus will be on them. So, uh, It'll be interesting to see how they adjust. Um, and one of your pictures that you tweeted out recently, you had a, a picture up, and obviously somewhere around your house, you had a, a framed Joe Montana shirt, a framed JJ Burden shirt up beside it. Um, playing with such a, a great quarterback in your time with the Kansas City Chiefs, but my uh, a question then came in on Twitter after, and it was, uh, is that your favorite piece of memorabilia that you have from your time in the NFL, or is there a, another special piece that uh, takes the biscuit on that one? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm talking to you now as I look at you on the video, and the people listening can't see it, but there's a, a couple of helmets there from your time around the league, yeah, a Kansas yeah, City Chiefs one. Yeah, got my helmets, and it probably would be either Joe Montana's jersey, because that, you know, I mean, come on, Joe Joe is yeah, one of the greatest, you know, and yeah. but probably my very first touchdown pass. I still have that ball. I have it in a little case. And there's a little story about it, and I actually share it in my upcoming book. But but that probably is the special one because, you know, that was my third year in the NFL, and I had my injuries with Cleveland, and, and I was on the practice squad in Dallas. And it really wasn't until that third year that my career launched, and it was that game that I had my very first touchdown. But it was more like I made it. You know, yeah. I proved everybody wrong that I can really play in the NFL. Yeah, so nobody's ever taken that ball away from you. I'm sure you thought that at that moment, and uh, you still have it with you. So it's always good to collect pieces from around uh, from around your time. But I thought that was an interesting question. Come in, you played with Joe there. You mentioned Joe Montana, one of the all-time great quarterbacks. Then uh, guys like Derek Thomas, Marcus Allen, and of course Marty Schottenheimer was your coach while you were there with the Chiefs. So it was a really, really strong Chiefs squad. Still, uh, unfortunately for Chiefs fans, the uh, the last Chiefs team to make it to, to a play uh, to win a playoff game. You're involved with that one, but those players uh, that I mentioned there, and even the other players that I haven't mentioned, was there a player in that group that was a uh, the hardest worker that you could single out on that one? Hardest worker of that group. Um, let's see. Um, well, it wasn't Derek Thomas. <laughs> Derek is a great guy, but 
Derek was a little lazy in practice and stuff. He, he'd show up on Sunday for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably say Marcus Allen. You know, Marcus Allen, um, he really impressed me because the guy was a really hard worker. And you think that he was a young rookie trying to make the team, but here's the he's 14 years in the league, and the guy was running hard, playing hard, and just the ultimate professional. You know, where I saw him do it on the field in practice, I saw Joe do it more in the preparation, just how he studied his plays and just always ahead of the game from a, a, um, a um, scheme and play standpoint. So, so to be sandwiched with Joe Montana and then Marcus Allen over here, you know, it, it inspired me yeah. to work harder and give more effort. It was an exceptional time for the Chiefs. When you look back, there's a good few Hall of Famers involved in that team. Marty Schottenheimer as the coach. You did make it to the AFC Championship game in 1993, but unfortunately, he's lost to the Buffalo Bills. But uh, around that time, were you aware of how good that team actually was, or is it when you look back now and you see the players that you kind of appreciate it more at the time? Was it very obvious? Yeah, well, I was aware of it because, remember, you know, during that time, we kept getting to the playoffs. Mm. We just couldn't get past the first or second round. And then when we get Joe and then when we bring in Marcus, I thought, okay, here's two missing pieces of the puzzle because we got everybody else. And you could feel just, you know, the the mindset of the teammates that year. We knew that we were going to win. We knew that we had the ability to come back because we had Joe. And so when we won those two playoffs games – Against Pittsburgh, we come back and beat Pittsburgh. We come back and beat Houston. We knew, okay, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to go up and beat Buffalo. And unfortunately, when when Joe takes a shot and gets uh, that concussion, um, that's when I think um, the momentum was stopped. I knew that we were in trouble. So yeah, it was kind of the, the team goes where Joe goes. Yeah, it was. I mean, he was our leader. He was our general and. You know, we really did need him, and it was it was a major. It, it kind of deflated our confidence when he went down because you were kind of like, uh oh, you know, because <laughs> you're playing in Buffalo. It's yeah. hard to play there. They Buffalo's already got a great team, and you need all of your studs. And and to lose Joe was was heartbreaking. And then I mentioned obviously 1994, the last time the Chiefs won a, a playoff game, and. You were involved with that, but is there any particular reason that you think since the Chiefs haven't been able to do it? They almost won against the, the Colts a couple of years back uh, in Indianapolis, but a, a miraculous cover, a recovery by Andrew Luck and the team that time you know, took it away from them again. But they, they are on the, on the right path, it looks, at the moment. But uh, what, what has been missing, do you think, in those 20 years? I don't know. You know just from what I've observed, um, I just think sometimes the Chiefs are just happy to to get the lead. You know, they get the lead and they kind of sit on the lead. And instead of having that killer instinct and really going for the jugular, um, they tend not to do that and play a little conservative. And then it just allows your opponent to come back. And so, um, but I'm expecting this third year with um, Andy Reid and his coaching staff and, and their schemes and their plays and all that, that this should be a year. This should be a big year for the team because now everybody has bought into the system. Everybody should be comfortable, and they're filling in some of the different positions that they need. So this, they better win a playoff game this year. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope they can make a run uh, in the division anyway and see how they go from there. But th- I mentioned the 93 and 94 season. Have you any particular fond memories? Obviously, there's very fond memories, but have you any in particular that you want to give us one quick J.J. Uh, Burden uh, story from that time? 
Let's see. Um, it probably <laughs> it probably be. Uh, let's see. When we played, when we played the no, we were playing Pittsburgh. We were playing Pittsburgh, and and you know here we are in the playoffs. Uh, it's like one minute left in the game. We've driven down the field, and it's fourth and I don't know, fourth and goal, and. And we're all sitting there in the huddle, and we're all nervous. We're just like, you know, all nervous because this is it. This is our season. And Joe starts cracking jokes in the <laughs> huddle. And and here's the thing. I don't remember what he said, but I was just sitting there like, is he really telling us jokes at this really crucial time in the game? And, yeah. and Willie Davis and I are kind of looking at each other. But I was like, that's just Joe. He's just trying to let us know everything's going to be okay. And sure enough, he threw the pass to Tim Barnett and we won the game. So Touchdown pass. Yeah. Just trying to get everyone to, you know, maybe take their mind off the, the nervous situation that you were in. And, you know, being a, you mentioned he was your leader and that there's what leaders do. They, they help inspire the team. And obviously we'll be talking, we may as well go into it now. We'll talk about your book now. We're all about inspiring people, JJ. Uh, you've had your new book and uh, it's surefire ways to take advantage it's always obviously about trying to help people uh, with their goals with motivation and so on but rather me uh, give a not proper uh, preview of it why don't you go ahead and you, you preview it in, the, in your own best words absolutely well thank you no I'm really excited about this, this is something I plan to do for some time I always plan to to be an author to share share my story because like I said, when you're 5'10", 157 pounds, uh, you travel a road of negativity. A lot of people telling me I was too small to play in high school and college and pro. And and um, as I've you know experienced this journey, I had so many obstacles along the way, but I always saw it as an opportunity and an opportunity to be better, an opportunity to be successful, to take care of my family and to play a game that many people love. And so... I wanted to write this book to remind people that no matter who you are, where you come from, uh, your background, doesn't matter. We all have opportunities in life. The question is, do we seize them? And then two, do we take advantage of them? And so in my book, I share eight principles that I've utilized throughout my life that has helped me become successful. And I share these principles in a way that you know, it's really to inspire people, but it's also to give them a blueprint on how to maximize your opportunities. And and I tell you, I got a lot of great stories, stories and lessons and stories and lessons. And so uh, the book is released this week. So I'm really excited now to get it out to everybody. Yeah, and of course, may as well do the plug when we're, we're talking about the book, jjburden.com. JJ is your site, and that's the best place to go to get all the information on how to order it, how to buy it. And JJ's even doing signed copies of it as well. So I would highly recommend anyone go check it out. JJ's retailing at $24.99. And obviously, there's free shipping in the US, but it's going to be a little bit different if people are over here in Europe trying to get the order in. But I'm sure that'll all be sorted out as well. So that's on jjburden.com. But to, to look to the, the actually before we go to the, the current moment there was one other question I meant to ask in, when we were talking about being inspirational when you were playing there you were mentioning about your size going over the middle was there ever a, a defensive back or a linebacker when you're making you're standing on the line of scrimmage and you're thinking I, I'm not really looking forward to getting smashed after a catch the ball by this guy yeah Ronnie Lott <laughs> it was Ronnie Lott because I'm sure Ronnie everyone Lott, thought that was Ronnie it was Ronnie Lott because Ronnie <laughs> You have safeties back there that when they see it's a run play, 
they kind of hesitate and then they run in there. Yeah. Ronnie Lott was different. As soon as he saw a run, he would plant his foot and just go bam right towards the running back. And so my job was to run in and cut him off before he could get a free shot on like Christian Okoya. Right. And so I would try to take his knees out. He really hated me for that. But whenever he saw me coming, he would always take that arm and that elbow and he would just take that step towards me and just just let me have it. But uh, And then, then every time I caught a ball over the middle, he was always trying to get a free shot. I remember one time I caught this ball. We were playing in, in Oakland and it was raining. I, I caught this ball and then he tackled me and he took my helmet and he put his knee on it and he just smashed it into the dirt. Just <laughs> pushed it as far as he could and used it as a prop to stand up. And, uh, and he just goes, JJ, leave my knees alone. So the next play, I went and tried to cut him again and he just said, oh, forget it. You just won't stop. You know, so, um, but yeah, he was definitely the one. I always had to keep my head on a swivel because if he get a shot on you, he was going to take it. Yeah, he's, yeah. He was a great guy off the field, though. Yeah, John, a, a really, really true great player in the NFL Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, I've seen some of the hits he delivers. And people have to remember that back when you were playing, although it isn't all that long ago, the rules were a little bit uh, more uh, to help the defensive side of the ball. They could take those big hits on you. They could hit you. There wasn't as many. There wasn't any. I don't think defenseless receiver calls back in those days. So uh, Ronnie Lott coming over the middle at you isn't the, the nicest experience, I don't think. But... Uh, <laughs> On to, on to the modern game, and we have uh, the top five NFL receivers coming into this season. I have a couple of names down here, but the likes we mentioned, Antonio Brown, Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Jordy Nelson, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., I suppose we'll throw in there, and uh, AJ Green and Demarius Thomas. They would be in my kind of top tier, although some of them I would have rated it slightly higher, but if you had to narrow it down to five, and maybe you even have a different name to add in there, who would be your, your top five for this coming season? Okay, great question. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Okay, I would say number five would probably be. Um, I'm gonna go with Demarius Thomas. Um, really like his game. Big guy, good speed, great sure. hands. Um, and then I'm gonna go with. I'm I'm gonna cautiously go with Odell Beckham because Ooh. I think I think this year the, the real deal. They're into him, so I, I would. But I'm gonna give him number four. Uh, then I would go Des Bryant. I mean, the guy just makes plays, you know, and he, he finds a way to get in the end zone. But the last two, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go with Antonio on number two, and I'm going to go with Calvin Johnson at number one because I have just never seen a big receiver like that that yeah. can move and that's as athletic as he is. And if he's healthy, I mean, the guy's unstoppable, you know. So, so we'll go with Calvin Johnson as my number one receiver. Yeah, he was injured last season for quite a, quite a while, and uh, you know that's obviously going to hurt him. But there was a few games still, even last season when he was healthy, that he really, really dominated. And I, I still think, as you mentioned, number one, a lot of people because of last season are kind of putting him down the, the rankings a little bit. But I think if he's healthy, there's if you were taking it just for one game, you wanted a wide receiver. I don't think you could go anywhere better than than Calvin Johnson. But uh, you know, you mentioned there as well, Odell Beckham Jr. and do you believe do you believe he is that good do you think this is something special that for the next five ten years we're going to see him dominate the nfl or do you think it could be just one of those things he came in people weren't expecting him to be as good and he just he dominated 
Well, you know, that's a great question. And, and you're asking a wide receiver, and, and I know what it's like, and I know the pressure he's going to have this year. And, 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 you know, so this is really kind of that, that pivotal year to see if he really is an upper echelon wide receiver. Because when you're being covered by maybe not the number one DB or when they don't roll as much coverage to you and you're just kind of surprising everyone, you can have the kind of stats. But this year's going to be interesting. He has the potential, you know, as long as he's staying hungry, as long as he's training and, and, and you know, not getting complacent. I mean, the guy could have a phenomenal career, but um, we'll see how he does this year, though. And you put them both in your, your top five, uh, Demarius Thomas and Des Bryant. Both have been franchise tagged by the team. They haven't signed the tags yet. But can you see uh, any way that these, these teams don't lock them down? And as a wide receiver, what uh, what would you be saying to the teams uh, from a wide receiver's point of view? You'd be saying get that money. Oh, yeah. You, you can't even play around. You When you have guys like that, you've got to lock them in. Because, yeah. one, not only does it do a lot for the confidence of your quarterback – but it's a it's a proven major weapon in your offensive arsenal. So um, you know, I would be I'm sure that you know they're going to work things out. So from from the perspective of the Dallas Cowboys, obviously I think Tony Romo is going to be there for another three four years, depending on how long his back will hold up for him. But with with the Broncos and Demarius Thomas, do you think Demarius might be the one that's uh, thinking maybe Peyton's uh, done after this season? Maybe I'll just uh, see what free agency offers me. Yeah, I, I think I think he's probably wondering. How yeah. long Peyton's going to play? Because yeah. if Peyton's <laughs> not there, I know they have Brock Osweiler waiting in the wings, but uh, you know there's yeah. going to be a big drop off no matter who you go to with uh, if Peyton Manning is done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know when you get that opportunity to you know um, to maximize your contract, because obviously because your career is you know there's certain points in your career when you have the chance to get those big contracts, yeah. and obviously he's already done well, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he bounced to another team if Peyton doesn't play next year. Yeah, and for all the listeners that uh, haven't already followed JJ on Twitter, it's at JJ Burden, it's B-I-R-D-E-N. His website as well, I mentioned there, is JJBurden.com. The book is out. I do urge you to go and buy it. Uh, I think you'll definitely find some inspirational stories in it. And every time we have him on the show, very uh, upbeat, you know, always in good form. JJ is always good to talk to you and get your opinions on things. So I wish you every success with the book and as always, uh, many thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully we can we can do it again, maybe even before the season kicks off. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I always enjoy visiting with you and talking football, and I'd be happy to come back. And, and thank you, too, for just you know sharing a little bit about my book. I'm really proud of it, and I know there's so many people out there that need that type of inspiration. And, and um, I wrote it myself, you know, and that's what I'm proud of. I didn't hire a ghostwriter. I wrote it. I mean, obviously, I had a mentor and an editor, but I really liked the way it turned out, and I think it'll be received well. So always good to connect with you. You're listening to the Overtime Ireland podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. So that was JJ Burden. Uh, a lot of fun talking with him again. I really enjoyed that story about Ronnie Lott uh, being the toughest defensive back that he had to face in the story of Ronnie uh, kind of driving his head into the ground with uh, his knee as he you know, told him not to go for his knees ever again. So that was I, I really enjoyed that story. And uh, it's always good to get kind of some stories like that there behind the scenes stuff that goes on on the field that you may be back then. It mightn't have been mic'd up. You don't pick up on those things, but it goes on week to week in the NFL. Really enjoyed that story. Of course, the book is out. Uh, do do urge you to uh, check it out. Um, some previews up on his site about it. And uh, the best way to get all the information about what JJ's doing, if you have a question you want to tweet to him, or that is on his Twitter feed, and it is at 
JJ Burden, B-I-R-D-E-N. So with the interview segment uh, wrapped up there, I really did enjoy that one. I'm going to move on now to the NFL news of the week. The big story over the weekend was the 4th of July. Uh, belated happy Independence Day to all the people out there who celebrated it. We did wish you a happy Independence Day on last week's show, but uh, again, maybe you're, you're listening to them both uh, after the weekend's over. So the big story was Jason Pierre-Paul and the fireworks incident with him. There was a lot of rumours coming out over the weekend about how badly injured his hand is and uh, how badly injured it was, but uh, rumours have been kind of tamed down a little bit now in the story coming out that while he has uh, suffered burns to his hands and fingers that all of his fingers are remaining intact at this present moment in time you know obviously he has been franchise tagged by the new york giants his franchise tender is 14.8 million dollars and you know situation like this here you know people are talking about there was a rumor during the week as well about down in tennessee with marcus Mariota not having signed his contract yet after getting drafted by them and you know there was a rumor that it was about that they didn't want him to do surfing or any uh, off-field related activities that rumor was uh, kind of quashed by profootballtalk.com but still this here's kind of a, another area where people um off the field a lot of people will say well they're only having some fun with fireworks but a lot of people do get injured unfortunately with fireworks around this time when there's celebrations going on like the fourth of july and uh Jason Pierre-Paul is uh, at the moment it looks like he has been very lucky as to not lose any fingers but with the way the situation is you know severe burns you could have some muscle or tendon damage in those fingers joints and uh, with him you know being a defensive end having to use his hands so predominantly playing the game it's uh, it could be although it seems to be at the moment not career threatening we'll see how it affects him going into this season going into training camp and of course the Giants could possibly uh, withdraw that their offer of a franchise tender but uh you know it seems to be that at the moment uh, they're it's going to hold hold firm they can they can do it and it would instantly create 14.8 million dollars in cap space but it would also make jason pierre paul an unrestricted free agent so we'll, we'll see what happens but they've less than a week now to wrap this all up with the, the franchise tag deadline coming up so it's going to be it's going to be a very very interesting situation to keep a close eye on it but again just uh Wishing uh, Jason Pierre-Paul uh, all the best in this year. Hopefully it's not a, as serious as it did first appear. It seems to be that the, the fingers and all are still intact and uh, hopefully he can make a full recovery from this one. I'm sure Giants fans and I'm sure fans around the uh, entire NFL will be hoping for a full recovery as you don't want to see any players' uh, careers cut short through uh, career ending injuries or different injuries of the sort. Sticking with the Giants now at this point in time, Odell Beckham, he was talking, he's coming up in the, the ESPN magazine uh, in the next week or so and he's he was talking about the the catch and he said like you know it's he's a bit disappointed that his season is last year's rookie campaign is only remembered for the catch he's obviously coming i was talking about him a few weeks ago and i was talking about the catch because he's going to be on the front cover of the madden box uh, coming out here for the new madden game so he uh he a little bit disappointed about that but i guess he you know it's such a such a big moment in his career that he might always be remembered that way and a lot of players do get sometimes they have that career to find a moment but when it's against the cowboys in division in such a big game it goes for a touchdown after he catches it uh i think that's just the way it's going to be but um he he is uh hoping to, to show this season that he is a lot more than just that and you know, I talked to JJ there about it, and did he believe in the hype? And he says that if he can, you know, stay level-headed, stay grounded, that he thinks that he can be one of the best wide receivers for the next, you know, five, ten years. So it's going to be interesting to see how this season goes. Do defenses start to react to how he's playing? Start to start to game plan a little bit more towards him. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, he's hoping to, to prove that that was more than uh, just what he's all about. 
I had some Packers news to read over the weekend, not the kind of news you want to be reading, and it was Andrew Quarles. He was down in Miami, shot off a, a gun, uh, seems to be shot it twice, and uh, was arrested for it. Uh, you know, situations like this, I talked about it a few weeks ago, that after the, uh, I think it was maybe last week or the week before, after the uh, training camps wrap up and you have this little bit of downtime, you always get player arrest. I think it was three years ago, it was specifically bad. There was so many people getting arrested, but Andrew Carlos and uh, the Packers have released a statement on it. You know, uh, they kind of it's kind of the standard statement. Yeah, they're after an event like this, you get caught instantly, or else they say, you know, you, we're just investigating the incident. So they've said, we're aware of the matter involving Andrew Quarles, and we're in the process of gathering more information. We will withhold further comments. So that's all they have said at this present moment. It gives them the option if uh, more stuff comes out to cut him. Possible that they will still cut him after this here, but with the Packers being owned by the fans, sometimes they, they gather up more information. We've seen it with Latroy Guyon. He got arrested with a, a gun in his possession. He got arrested with a lot of marijuana and a, a huge sum of cash. And after that there, um, you know, they're still waiting to see what they what they eventually do about that as we head into training camp. But with this situation with Andrew Quarles, you know, he has proven that he has talent, but gets himself into situations off the field uh, a couple of times now. He's uh, not, he doesn't have a clean record. You know, if it was a clean record, you might give him some leeway. But shooting off guns in public is certainly not something that you should be doing. And, you know, I'll not be too surprised if the Packers do cut him in this situation. He... He's well known for having his tattoos and uh, he has a tattoo on each arm, once his gods, once his gift. So he obviously thinks very highly of himself. And, uh, you know, with the tight end situation there, Richard Rodgers was drafted last year in Quarles. Still had quite a good season. He, he caught a, a game one and touchdown down in Miami with a, a last kind of a last minute drive by the Packers in that one. And, you know, that was probably the highlight of his season. But it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next week with this and uh uh, at the minute it's 50-50 and when you're doing things like this here I have no sympathy for him uh, if he is cut it's just he's going to have to move on and see what happens but hopefully uh, as I mentioned we don't see many more of these situations throughout the rest of the offseason we often see arrests at this time of the year and uh, hopefully the rest of the players can uh, stay out of trouble and hopefully the rest of the Packers uh, organisation do stay out of trouble too a player who's no longer in the NFL but uh, it's very recently that he's no longer in the NFL is Chris Barland he was saying that uh, money was never a factor in his call to retire um, you know he's retired because afraid a little bit of uh, concussions long term health and he stepped away from the game he handed back $463,000 of uh, his signing bonus that he, he signed when he was drafted and he said that uh, you know it just it didn't come down to money for him he has prospects off the field that he's going to follow through and what the the brand in particular football he played he was making uh, serious serious numbers of tackles he was really involved in every defensive play and uh, at the linebacker position and he just thought that with the way he played the game that at long term he was bound to get more concussions over the space of his career so he thought that the, the money wasn't worth it and he's moving on to a different role so the 49ers have had a, a number of issues this offseason with players retiring injured players new coaching staff so a lot of people have written off the 49ers I at the moment am withholding judgment because We've seen this a lot, like we've seen with the Dallas Cowboys last year. I think the 49ers in a similar position to what the Cowboys were when Sean Lee went down injured. Everyone thought they were going to have statistically the worst defense in NFL history, so on and so forth. And over the, the span of the season, uh, they got to the playoffs, beat uh, the Lions, maybe controversially, I'll still say, in the uh, in the playoffs at home. And then they lost to the Packers in controversial circumstances as well. It's, even as a Packers fan, I'll say with the Des Bryant non-catch and... Uh, 
you know what what the the, the season holds for the 49ers is going to be is going to be an interesting it's a tough division it's a hard-hitting division have to get over the seahawks there if you're going to make the playoffs but it's one of them ones where people are expecting them to uh, do very very poorly and i think they might do slightly better than is expected of them bit of vikings news now and uh, josh robinson has a partially torn pectoral muscle happened before training camp and uh, the news was obviously kept quiet through this time and it's un- unsure as how long it's going to take him to recover will he he'll be back for the training camp or uh, if it's more of a closer to the start of the season thing um you know that they, they have a couple of issues they have a couple of very very strong cornerbacks but then you know guys like terence newman who has 36 and they have a rookie trey waynes could be called into action a lot quicker than expected they also have captain Munnerland and uh, xavier Rhodes. i do like xavier Rhodes as a as a player since he came into the league but you know if if you're having some of your players out uh, at this stage and maybe struggling to make the start of the season it can be a tough situation for depth there in the minnesota vikings with adrian peterson back in the fold or hoping for a big push this season you know they, they got to the playoffs two years ago with peterson hoping to hoping to get a wee run here and see if they can challenge the packers at the top of that nfc north and uh, i think they are the second strongest roster in in that division at the moment Talked with Adam Rank a few weeks ago when he was on the show and it was about Tony Romo's fantasy football event that was cancelled because it was going to be held in Las Vegas. The NFL didn't want players in and around the casino. Uh, seemed like a bit of a lame excuse at the time. I, I didn't really buy it, but Romo says he's moving the event to Los Angeles next year. So it'll be interesting to see if the uh, NFL come up and uh, have any other excuse next season for, for this event. But um, pretty cool event. Should have went ahead in Las Vegas last year, but it's going to be in Los Angeles next year. So we'll see uh, what news comes out, whether the NFL have any statement to make or whether they change their mind and change the rules yet again. So over the last few weeks, we didn't have a lot, a lot of news to talk through, but we had a good wee little uh, chunk of news there, mainly the, the Jason Pierre-Paul stuff and then uh, with Andrew Corliss and other bits and pieces just been uh, thrown in there to add in some more stuff. But uh, with Jeff Reinbold on the show last week, playing or coaching in the CFL with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, he talked about it. And uh, him and their special teams had a huge part to play in their uh, victory last week. A very comp- comprehensive victory on the road. So they're 1-1 one one now for the season. The Tiger Cats, the, uh, the OTI's adopted team of the Canadian Football League. And uh, they have a bye week now. It'll be interesting to see what happens after the bye week. But uh, Jeff seems confident about the team's prospects for the season. And uh, they've had two good years there in the last two years making the playoffs. So we'll see, we'll see what happens going forward for them. But a good win on the road for the Tiger Cats. We did put out a number of tweets uh, last week, uh, Friday I think it was, um, for Fantasy Football Leagues. We obviously have our redraft leagues from the last couple of years. We do them every year. Last year I think we had six leagues and we're going to be having, uh, adding a couple of more this year depending on the numbers. And um, if you were involved in them last year, of course, uh, the, the notification would have been sent out and you can join up to that league again. And if you weren't involved last year, do hit us up at Overtime Ireland on Twitter and uh, say that you're interested. We'll get you involved this season in one of our redraft leagues. We also have a new team in uh, another dynasty league. And uh, this time it's not been run by Overtime Ireland, but been run by a group of footballers in the uh, Irish American Football League. So uh, I joined up with that there for Overtime Ireland and... Uh, we were uh, short with one or two dropouts and um, thankfully the, the good listeners of Overtime Ireland jumped in and uh, one of those, Neil Dutton, part of the uh, UK end zone team over there, a good a good friend of ours on Twitter, always chatting with Neil. Um, you'll probably, if you listen to the DDFP, you'll hear that he uh, also likes stale bread, but uh, he's, he's involved uh, in the league now, so looking forward to getting the draft and starting for that there and uh, looking forward 
to hopefully having a successful year this year in fantasy football, winning a few leagues and uh, looking forward to those dynasty leagues. As I mentioned, mentioned the uh, Irish American Football Association and our last game of the season is going to be happening in Galway this week for the Donegal Derry Vipers uh, heading down to Galway to face off against some of the, the guys down there for the Galway Warriors. Looking forward to it. If you're running around the Galway area on uh, Sunday afternoon, kick off 2 o'clock. I'll be posting more information on it on the Overtime Ireland Twitter feed as well. If you're in the area, let us know and uh, head on down and watch some American football action. A lot of games going on. A lot of the teams in the uh, top divisions of the IAFA is uh, heading towards the Shamrock Bowl. It's the bowl season and we'll be seeing who'll be heading down to Dublin to play for the biggest prize in the game. At the moment, uh, I have to say it's very hard to look past the, the Belfast Trojans to be picking up the award there. And finally, as we wrap up, we had Jason Quigley on the show, uh, Irish boxer from Donegal. And uh, a few weeks back, uh, he was on with us and he's fighting now uh, this Saturday, 11th of July. He is 6-0. He's going to try and be 7-0. He's signed with Golden Boy Promotions and uh, that fight is this Saturday. So wishing Jason all the best. If you didn't hear the podcast with him, go back and listen to it. Very interesting uh, perspective into his career so far. What he's expecting going forward. And uh, just an all-around good guy. And uh, we're hoping that uh, he gets the victory this week to go to 7-0. So best of luck, Jason, in that one. So uh, outside of that, that's really uh, everything. I've I've enjoyed this show. Talking with JJ was a lot of fun. Hopefully you enjoyed listening. If it's your first time listening to the show, maybe JJ retweeted it and uh, you went in. You maybe you're a maybe you're a Chiefs fan or you've you've been following his story on his book. Uh, do hit that subscribe button. Do uh, come back and listen to us, and uh, we have more guests coming up the next few weeks to keep the show ticking over as the uh, NFL news is probably going to be on a limited basis and hopefully there'll be no more arrests uh, to be reported in next week's show. But until that, I guess all that's left to say is my name is Colin Kelly. You've been listening to Overtime Ireland and until next week, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.